Tonight's conversation is really out of the spirit of talking leadership lessons, specifically for school leaders. And so my name is Erica Jordan Thomas. I'm obsessed with school leadership. I'm a former principal. I've studied education leadership through my graduate work. And when I thought about this conversation, this is the person that came to mind to be able to have this conversation, Dr. Tamisha Barnes-Jones. And I'm going to give my little intro and then I'm going to let her give her her own intro here in a minute. But The reason why Tamisha came to mind is because I not only have the gift of knowing Tamisha as a person, but I have the gift of knowing her in the most beautiful way as a leader. As a middle school principal, uh, she took care of my kids. I passed off my kids to her because she was the principal of the high school where my kids fed into. And so, you know, if anybody out there who's an educator and you know how we feel about our kids and what it means to pass on our kids to someone else, that is a very, very deep personal relationship. And she took care of them, y'all. She took so so good care of them, her and the staff and culture she she cultivated. So that's why she came to mind for this leadership happy hour and having this conversation, because I know her through the impact that she's had on the community that I love the most, which is the community I led. So y'all welcome to Misha. So say hey, show her some love in the chat. And Tamisha, as a way to just introduce folks to who you are and your story, share with us like your your movie trailer, your education movie trailer of your journey. Where did you start and where are you now? And what are some important stops that happened in between? Well, hey, hey, everybody. Um, Dr. TBJ, that's what I'm known as. And so the movie trailer a version of my career. So I started as a singer, uh, actually singing live jazz, R&B. I was supposed to be an opera singer, but so my soul, no, my soul was like, no, no for the opera. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a music degree from Davidson College. And then I went on to the Conservatory of Music for a voice degree. And it was there that I dabbled into music education and thought, hmm, don't think I want to sing opera, but I'm digging this education thing. And so I actually ended up being a a teacher. I started teaching in 1996, and I also started giving private voice lessons. And so I was teaching music. I was teaching musical theater because I have a theater background. And so for many, many years, I taught music, started in the private sector, and then moved into public education in early 2000, 1999, and haven't looked back. And I haven't looked back. So I started at a, in a public school. I was an elementary school teacher. <laughs> quickly, re- <laughs> quickly realized I liked older kids. I did that for a couple of years. And then I, I transitioned to, to high school. And I, I guess, the you know, I'm a builder. And so pretty much every high school I went to, I was building something. So I remember building a chorus program at a fairly new school in Charlotte. Then I remember building uh, an orchestra program at a, a, a South uh, school in Charlotte. And then I, um, I moved to uh, my third high school where I was an, a part of an established course program. And we were winning competitions. Like I was, I was living my best life as a teacher, pouring into kids, singing all the time, and, but continuing to build programs so that we could reach kids. So Fast forward, I I got thrust into the assistant principalship. Uh, Somebody heard about some things that I was doing that were kind of outside of of chorus and said, we need you to do that thing at one of our high schools. And so I became an an assistant principal of instruction. 
I did that for a few years. I was strategically staffed. That was an initiative in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools. And then I ended up as the principal of the the great West Charlotte High School. And I don't know if you want me to stop right there, but that's kind of the the, the, the trailer that leads me to my principalship. And I, I'm currently working in Savannah Chatham County Public Schools. I am the director of school improvement and loving that I get to work with school leaders all the time. So it's pretty wonderful. So there's a moment. Well, first off, there's a few things in your story. So first <laughs> off, I just love meeting like music educators, art educators, because I feel like there's just like a different energy that like you lead with. There's like a different like grounding and purpose that you have. And fun fact, just so that way folks can fully understand your your artistic gifts and musical gifts. The day I found out that Dr. Tamisha Barnes-Jones was in the color purple, I was like, Oh, okay. This ain't play play. Like this is real. Like this is for real, for real. So just so that way you all know that little tidbit of like, like when she talks about her gifts, her artistry, like she's, she's real about that. So you said something in your story that is interesting and I want to dive into it because you, you mentioned AP and then you were like, I, I ended up at West Charlotte. And so I think, you know, part of our conversation tonight is really digging into like leadership lessons from a school leader standpoint. And I think that that little point of your story, I think, is is one that we often don't talk about a lot with the leadership journey of like the transition from AP to principal. And so someone previously submitted a question online and sharing about our, our time tonight. And their question was, well, how do you know when you're ready? Like how how do you, when did you know it's time to like take that leap from assistant principal or whatever leadership position into the principal seat? How did you know, or when, when was it like, or, or did, and that's assuming you had that moment. So just talk to us a little bit around like what that transition point was. Right. So again, I had kind of a quirky path. So I was <laughs> I was a music teacher, became an assistant principal, but I was fully engaged with the work as an assistant principal. And I was so driven for the students to be successful that someone noticed, you know, and, and I was strategically staffed at West Charlotte High School as an assistant principal of instruction to do the work that I had been doing previously, which is around helping students who were disenfranchised or uh, low-performing find successes. And so I was strategically staffed there as a part of another initiative, Project Lift. And I don't know how how, how much we want to go into that, but that, w- that was another initiative to support the school, nine schools in a, co- in, a, in a corridor. So I worked really, really hard as the assistant principal of instruction at West Charlotte High School. And I think after a couple of years, the, the learning community superintendent kind of created a principalship for me because I I was not initially the sole principal at West Charlotte High School. I was a co-principal, which comes with a whole nother story to have two principals in one school building. And so the transition kind of happens like, you know, we value what you're doing and we want to give you this position. So I just had to navigate, you know, kind of a school within a school model and a co- co-leadership situation. And so the, the transition was, was again, just as quirky as my career had been up to that point was, 
you know, let this is something that no one else is doing. It's called a co-principalship and we don't know what this is and we're not going to be able to help you navigate it, but you are now co-principal of West Charlotte. <laughs> so, that's that's kind of how that happened. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, because I think people, some people have this like perception of like when people are going after that, that or their name to principal that like they know everything <laughs> so mm-hmm. like I'm I'm wondering to what extent you felt ready to what extent you were aware of like uh, I, I don't know I'm just curious in that moment where your perception of like I am ready let's go let's do this if that was overwhelming for you or if you like all right I've done these things in my past. I know this is what I know. And at the same time, I'm still a little nervous. And so like, how did you, how did you hold that moment? I felt ready. I felt like it was time. I mean, you start to get that kind of antsy feeling like, okay, I'm in a position that doesn't quite feel right. And I'm ready for that next, that next step of being the principal. But in hindsight and with some reflection, like there were some things that I that definitely was not ready for. So so there's some context around uh, West Shaw that maybe we just need to talk about. Let's go. <laughs> First of all, I, I love West Charlotte High School. I have such fond memories and I, I you know, but West Charlotte High School is the high school in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools that is like no other Charlotte Mecklenburg school district that's like no other. So it's got a rich, rich, rich history and a a huge imprint in the educational landscape nationally as as it was the school that was lauded for integration in the 70s. And so for three decades, you know, West Charlotte had, you know, successes, academic achievement, graduated some very prominent members of of society, doctors, lawyers, professional athletes, uh, you know, um, all all, all kinds of people. And so after about three decades of that, there was another court case and then West Charlotte resegregated very quickly. So after they stopped busing based on race, West Charlotte resegregated very quickly. But there are still such a large invested alumni of, of a diverse background. And so there's a lot of scrutiny and pressure and some political politicalization of the principalship at West Charlotte High School. So it's the school and, and people rightly so are very interested in what happens to West Charlotte and what happens at West Charlotte and so there was this pressure that I, I I thought I was ready for, that I really needed support around. Not just the fact that it was the Great West Charlotte, but there was also this Project Lift initiative that was a $55 million initiative to, like I said, support these nine schools in a corridor, low-performing schools. And West Charlotte was the only high school. It was the flagship school. And we were charged with taking the graduation. I, I got there in 2012 getting the graduation from what was then 54% to 90% in five years. So there's that added layer of pressure and scrutiny. And so in hindsight, I I may not have been as ready for the level of scrutiny and the level of pressure that went along with also being what was my first year as a principal. So my first year as a principal was at West Charlotte high school. And you, and we, you know, we know the research, we know that there are not very many female 
principals of high schools and definitely not very many black females. And to and to be the, the principal of West Charlotte High School, it was a, it was a lot of pressure. Mm, yeah. So let's let's pull this back a little bit so that with our folks who are listening and I see everyone who's commenting people who are are giving us love and who are giving us greetings. And there's a couple of folks who are joining us who are not based in Charlotte. So just to kind of help paint this picture of exactly what you're naming of just like the community dynamics, the political dynamics surrounding West Charlotte High School. I actually thought about this just in this moment as you were talking. Two moments came to mind. The first moment was my very first year when I moved to Charlotte through Teach for America and through my like onboarding through TFA. One of the experiences we had, we went to a museum. I want to say it was the Levine Museum of the New South, but there was an exhibit about education in Charlotte. And I very distinctly remember this more than a decade later. I remember this very, very clear section of the exhibit that had two pictures of the West Charlotte High School cheerleading team. Mm-hmm. One before the court case and one after the court <laughs> case. And you could see the very stark differences of the racial demographics of West Charlotte. So that was like memory number one of, okay, this school, there's a historical significance from a, a local standpoint in terms of integration that mm-hmm. this school represents. And then the second moment that actually wasn't until I moved to Boston and reading and engaging with Boston's history around integration and busing and realizing that West Charlotte was the example that they had used at that time to help the system in Boston help navigate and figure out integration. So I just share that to add more Cullen perspective of what West Charlotte still means to this day mm-hmm. to the city. And at the time that you led, that you were named principal, the mayor of Charlotte was a graduate of West Charlotte High School. There were prominent families across multiple racial lines who were graduates of West Charlotte High School. And at that time, West Charlotte now was desegregated from across racial lines. So just naming all of that context for my people who are listening of, you know, each of us know from our own personal stories in whatever city that we grew up in, there's usually one school <laughs> that is like, these school, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. That school is East High School, where the history is so rich. Mm-hmm. It is so rich that if anybody says anything or tries to do anything to that school, you will have a community uproar that is West Charlotte High School in Charlotte. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so just want to like paint the context so that way people understand that your leadership, they understand the context in which you are leading and you name something that we're going to get into is that you stepped into this context as a woman and specifically as a Black woman. And for mm-hmm. folks who know me, they know I'm obsessed with school leadership. They also know that part of my my doctoral research this past year has been on the role of the principal and only 11% of principals nationally identify as Black. Wow. Nationally. And then when you break that down, gender dynamics between elementary and secondary, that overwhelmingly that women are two thirds of elementary principals. And that's by design because in the 1930s, 
the role actually shifted to excluded women out of the secondary role. So just naming that there's a lot of factors that you are navigating. And we're going to pull back into some of those here in a moment. But the one that you named around identity, as well as identity racially, as well as gender-wise at a secondary level, is, is one that we're going to talk about and excited to talk about. So describe to us like the early years of your your time as a principal, because I think for a lot of new leaders, there's usually like, there's a mental promotion <laughs> that we have to go through when like you're in the seat and you're like, oh my goodness, there's, I had a perception of what I thought the role was. And now that I'm in it, some of those things are accurate. And then there's a whole nother lens of the work that you don't see until you're in the seat. So describe to us what those early years were like for you, maybe some of the lessons learned. Yeah. So again, let me just name. So I was in this co-principalship, which I feel like maybe the the leaders kind of thought was a a mentoring relationship. So I had a male principal. I was his co-principal. And it was also, um, it it felt kind of like a a, a mentoring relationship. And so I don't think I was assigned a mentor or some sort of coach or to kind of help me navigate this this new landscape of um, of co-leading West Charlotte High School, also co-leading uh, a school within a school model. We had a school within a school model as I had helped develop an academy for students who were significantly off track for on-time graduation. So, so that's kind of what I was what I was leading. And just to be honest, it was scary. Um, there were many, many times that I was trying to lead in a way that was not authentically me. So I had this man who was the principal and I was able to watch his leadership style. And I remember beginning to think, you know, maybe that's how I'm supposed to lead. Like I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, just almost take on that kind of persona. It it was very difficult for me. And I think uh, around my true circle of friends, I was able to be myself, but uh, in the early years, I really was, I was really scared to lead authentically. I was very nervous to some, to, um, to admit when I didn't know something, you know, because you're expected to know. I mean, you're the, you're the principal, you're the principal of West Charlotte, you're the co-principal, you're the assistant principal of instruction, you've been strategically staffed here, you're supposed to know. And so there were times early on in my career that I felt nervous about being vulnerable to say, hey, I'm struggling and I need some help. That was a very tough time. I remember being the only female in the on the administrative staff. And so there was a male principal. He had two male APs, a male dean. And then there was me, the female assistant principal of instruction and then the female uh, co-principal. And I remember very vividly sometimes being outside of what I call the boys club. And so it was it was very isolating at times. It was scary. It was lonely. And I felt like I was floating like this on the top, but underneath I was doing this to try to figure it all out and, and make sure that I was successful and make sure that I didn't, you know, that I didn't show too much emotion. It, it, it was, it was a tough time early on in, in the principalship. I may have said too much there, but. <laughs> so first off, I want to honor your vulnerability and the way you're sharing, because I think Sometimes vulnerability can feel like a privilege as a principal, you know, Mm -hmm. and also vulnerability can also feel like a privilege as a black woman who's a principal. Um, And so I want to honor 
the vulnerability that you're sharing, honor your story and honor the truth that you're sharing. And someone is showing gratitude in the chat right now for your transparency. And, and I, think, I think sometimes, I think it's interesting because sometimes as a leader, you can't afford for people to know that. Right. But there's a part of what you said, if I had a close circle of people, <laughs> like I built a close circle of support to where like they were able to feed me in a way, because as a leader, you don't always have the gift to stand in front of your school community in the political context of West Charlotte and okay. say, I don't know. And right. so I, I appreciate you naming this tension that's so real that so many leaders feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. someone also mentioned in the chat, that you mentioned, but but I do think it's helpful to to just state for folks who are not familiar with with the North Carolina Charlotte context, because you mentioned Project Lift, which was another layer of mm-hmm. dynamics that you were managing, was that there was a public-private partnership that had been formed for a, an initiative to turn around West Charlotte High School. Because at the time, West Charlotte High School had the lowest graduation rate in Charlotte. And given its historical impact, its historical footprint, this public-private partnership was developed. And it's the money isn't always the headline because it's what did the money allow us to do? And the reality was it was $55 million Mm -hmm. that had been pulled together to be able to invest in West Charlotte and its feeder schools. And so just naming what comes with that from a political standpoint. Go ahead. Yeah. So I want to just, I want to stamp. So if I had to talk about a leadership lesson, there was the moment I decided I was going to be vulnerable and rip off the mask after that time. And I began to lead authentically is when I felt the most joy and found the most success so you're right. West Charlotte had the lowest graduation rate. We were like 54%. Uh, West Charlotte was one of the lowest performing schools at that time in North Carolina. And, you know, we were we were charged with, I, I'm going to say I was charged with getting that graduation up to 90% in five years. But I didn't really find joy, joy, and the real success until there was a pivotal moment in my leadership. And I remember it very vividly where I we were on a retreat with all the principals. And of course, I'm the the high school principal and I'm supposed to be strong and I'm supposed to know and, you know, I'm supposed to have it together. And I remember during one of our talks, they were talking about West Charlotte, West Charlotte, West Charlotte. And I remember thinking, you're saying West Charlotte, but you're talking about me. You know, because as the leader, we embody the, the school that we're that we lead and, you know, we carry you know, the weight of the the students, the staff, the the, the community and the expectations. And I kept hearing West Charlotte, West Charlotte, West Charlotte. And I just needed people to see me. And I remember screaming at the top of my lungs and saying, I can't do this. I don't know if you were there. So I know you probably remember, but I remember screaming at the top of my lungs. I can't do this. I need help. I feel the pressure and I have to be me. And I'm going to have to lead the way I lead. And and I just, you know, I've got to rip off this mask and you get ready to see TBJ. Okay. Dr. Barnes Jones, get ready to go out the door. And TBJ is showing up from here on. And that was a pivotal moment for me because 
once I began to lead authentically and feel like it's okay to be vulnerable, uh, vulnerability does not equal weakness. You know what I'm saying? It does not equal weakness. In fact, it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. And that kind of vulnerability helped me build trust with the most wonderful administrative team that I had built. And then people gravitated to me, you know, and of course I didn't make everybody happy. I ticked a lot of people off. Some people couldn't stand the fact that I had some emotions that every now and then I showed, but I was a strong woman. But at the end of the day, once I started to lead authentically, and when I tell you the kind of joy that comes with authentic leadership is like no other. And from that point on, we began to succeed. So by 2017, West Charlotte had gotten, we were 88% graduation, 88 We had become named a North Carolina School of High Growth. We have been taken off the low performing, the recurring low performing school list. Like we, when I say I was like, now, now we doing. (laughs) So that was a very pivotal moment for me. And that was a lesson. That's a, that's a leadership lesson. Yes. So um, give us examples of Like, what did that vulnerability look like in practice? Like, what was something that you wouldn't have done before that moment? Because I remember that moment. I and and I will say that when that moment happened, you set other people free too who were in Mm -hmm. that room. And so, just naming not just the impact of that moment for you personally, but I remember sitting in that room thinking, like, damn what have I not been giving myself permission to do or be? And so it was such a powerful moment that I actually think it was a turning point for the entire room of us us principals. And so I'm curious, because I think these examples would be helpful for people who who are joining us and listening of what was something that you wouldn't give yourself permission before that moment to do that you gave yourself permission after that moment to do? I gave myself permission to... To say, I don't know. I don't know. And I need help. (laughs) And somebody better help me around here. There was a time that I would not give myself permission to do that. I would just be like, okay, I got it. And then I would go like this, figure it all out, develop a plan, you know, and just try to figure it out and work myself to the bone and into a a frenzy. And and I gave myself permission to fail forward, like try some stuff. It may not work, but sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And so I gave myself permission to, to just fail forward and be okay. And like you said, it, it set some people free in that room, but it also from on my staff, uh, particularly with my administrative team, it set them free as well. And I was super, super close. By the time I left West Charlotte, we were a squad. I mean, we we could finish each other's sentences. We knew each other. And there were there were times of uh, we would express our pain uh, of something that wasn't successful, or our pain about a student that wasn't successful or a pain about a family that, we, you know, it was OK for them to express that even. And I'm not going to name my male assistant principal. But by the time, you know, I, I left, even my male assistant principal who had been at, at West Charlotte forever, he was able to to show some vulnerability so that we can all get better together, you know, because there was this level of trust. Um, So that is so critically important as a leader that to give your people permission to just say, you know, I don't know and I need help and, and, and not look at them like that's a weakness and that's a flaw. 
you know? So that was, that, that was, that was very, very, very important part of my leadership. You know what was, it's interesting because there's this lesson that you named and it's coming up for me. Uh, we, we as leaders, like we, we determine what is acceptable and unacceptable in our culture. Mm-hmm. Whether we say it or not through our actions, mm-hmm. we give people permission or we reprimand people to do certain things. And all of that is an embodiment of what we allow ourselves to do. And the moment you made me think about, as you were saying that, is the day after uh, the Keith Lamont Scott shooting in Charlotte, I remember walking into school as the principal, who is also a Black woman, who's leading a school that is serving predominantly Black students that also has a predominantly Black staff. I remember walking into the school that day the day after, and deeply for my own personal perseverance, like wanting to avoid, like I did not want to talk about it. And it was for my own self-protection. Like I just did not have within me the, I thought I did not have within me what I needed in order to navigate the pain of that moment. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even get to the front door of the building when I stepped out of my car And one of my instructional coaches was in the parking lot crying. Mm -hmm. And she said, JT, it could have been one of our kids. Mm -hmm. And so like, that was like the leadership switch for me. That's like, all right, school hasn't even started yet. (laughs) And like, if I avoid, what will that do? And if I give myself permission to feel, what will that do? And I just remember making that quick decision, going into my office, boo-hooing for mm-hmm. a moment. Like, I was like, I just need to boo-hoo and let it out with my door closed. Yeah. And then get myself together to get on the intercom before students walk in and tell everyone, you have permission to feel today. And if that feeling means that you need someone to cover your class for a few moments and we'll do that, just call us. If that permission to feel means you're going to scrap your lesson and do a community circle, you can do that. You have permission to do that today because I need to give myself permission in order to show up for you all today. I got to give myself permission to feel. So just naming the critical leadership lesson here that you're bringing forth to us of like, when you give yourself permission as the school leader to be a whole person, to be, to acknowledge your own humanity, you give Mm -hmm. your staff permission to acknowledge their humanity as well. So Mm -hmm. I love that lesson. We don't talk about enough, especially when we're in the middle of a pandemic and educators are working even harder than they were before. Like we have got to center people's humanity in this work because we don't do that well in education. So that became a critical part of our culture. Is. And y'all were tight. I, I remember the squad. Like we knew y'all was the squad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, even beyond my administrative staff, that became a critical part of our culture is allowing our kids to feel and know that they were going to be loved. So, you know, uh, with the population of students I had that you had to be hard. I mean, you, you had to be hard. Yo, yo. So, 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 so who, who dies? You know, but we gave them permission to you don't always have to be hard. Because you also see, I'm not hard all the time, you know, and I remember kids coming into my office and I mean, some of my hard, hard nook nooks 
and and really being vulnerable in my office and, and, and showing emotion. It just became a part of our culture that it's OK to feel and let's talk about it and let's deal with it. And, you know, not just try to go on as business as usual. Like, you're right. We had to really build that in our culture. So that was a lesson. But also, so another lesson, if I had to think of one, is around giving my my staff permission to to think so far outside the box to meet the needs of the kids and our community. We didn't put up barriers. And as leaders, we often put up a barrier around our, you know, what we can and cannot do. And maybe I better not do that because, so I knocked down barriers. And like, I think I said, if you don't see a door, build one. We built a lot of doors and walked through some places we weren't supposed to walk through so that we could meet the the needs of of students. And so like, for an example, I had students who (laughs) who would skip school and go down to the McDonald's down the street. Well, I walk my happy self right down to the McDonald's and start teaching class right in the McDonald's. Told the people that were back there frying French fries, come on out, join the class. You know, so I gave my staff permission to to do that as well. And so you as a leader, you you set the tone for that. You either set forth innovation or you stifle innovation. And so that was also a critical part of our culture as well. You were going to say something, and I'm sorry if I stepped over what you're going to say. No, 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 you're good. So there's so many. Um, let me read a couple of comments. And yeah, then I can't see so. <laughs> um, so someone took note of what you said of it takes courage to be vulnerable. Someone else made note of when you are authentic, authentic people will draw to you. Someone naming that there's so much gold in this, and that's actually Kevin. Uh, name how much gold that's occurring in this moment. So, so much love and affirmation that's being shared and underscoring. And so here, here's something that I want us to think aloud a little bit for a second, because vulnerability is so critical and important. And as a leader, you have to have tact in your vulnerability. Absolutely. So I do want to talk about that a little bit because I think there is a, like, how as a leader do you know? Because like for the example that I just gave, when I needed to boo-hoo and like let it out for a second, I went in my office and closed the door. Right. And I didn't tell myself I couldn't do it. I could, but I wasn't, I wasn't in the front office boo-hooing. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and like, and so I, I, I think there's this really tricky line, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, vulnerability makes us human. And as a leader, you know, Ronald Heifetz would say that, who who is the author of adaptive leadership and technical leadership, would mm-hmm. say that leaders give vision, direction, and protection. Mm-hmm. And so you as a leader, people are looking at you mm-hmm. for vision, direction, and protection. Absolutely. And so because of that, you have to make a strategic choice as a leader, what vulnerability is public mm-hmm. and what vulnerability is for your circle friend. Absolutely. And so I'm curious, like how you, how you thought about that of how you, and I'm happy to share some examples too, but like, like, cause I, I what I don't want, I think what some early leaders would make the misstep in, in believing is they're like, oh, I need to be vulnerable. And then you either telling too much of your business right. <laughs> to the wrong people right. Right. or or because you 
your your vulnerability was public when it should have been private. Right. Um, right. It actually digged a little bit of a hole for your the, the uh, people's ex people didn't feel protected. Right. I'm, I'm just curious because I think we don't talk about these things with mm-hmm. leadership enough. I'm curious right. what your thoughts or reactions are to that. Right. So you're absolutely right. So so as far as like telling my business and think no. I did have, like I, by the by the end, like my administrative team, we were a, a very strong circle. And so there were moments behind closed doors that we had some 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 real talk and some 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 tough conversations and some serious vulnerability. But as far as like in front of my staff, like I, what I mean is like I had to I had to be truthful and honest when things were not going well. Like I tried this. It didn't work. It's my fault but let's fix this together. You know, it takes a lot of courage to own when you've made a mistake. And so there were times I had to own that I made a mistake. So we rolled out, I remember a time we were rolling out bonuses. So there was an opportunity for people to get bonuses in in Project Lift. And I had not been completely transparent about like, how you get the bonuses, what, it, you know, so it, so it started to dig into the culture a little bit about it being an arbitrary, you know, so I had to get in front of my staff and say, I messed up. I messed up. I know I messed up. And I know this, I'm going to have to win your trust back. Um, but I'm human and I apologize. Let me explain how the bonuses work. And, and so that took courage. It was hard because, of course, I had all my taters, and I'll talk about my taters in a minute. Looking like mm-hmm, we already knew. I mean, they would. <laughs> I already had the neck going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I had to look them in the face and say, "I'm sorry, I messed up." You know, and so there were times I had to apologize in front of staff. There were times that I had to do like a, what I call a family talk. Like we're a family. And I, I, you know, and you guys, this is the way we have to walk. And this is the way we have to talk as a family because we are West Charlotte, you know, so that, that was a, that was a tough conversation as well. But when I talk about my taters, so I had, I did have to, to balance that, but I think in the end, it was the taters that had, I was over, I was, are we, are we ready to talk about that? Go ahead. <laughs> I'm following you. I think I kind of let my taters drive me down and this is what I mean. So you have those, uh, your spectators. And those are people who are always on the side, even in my building, looking, watching, not wanting to be a part of the work, not wanting to contribute to the work, just spectating. Then those, those, those spectators became commentators. Mm. They just want to now find all the fault in everything you're doing and galvanize a negative group. So we're going to just be the, the spectators and the commentators. The means after the means. Absolutely. And then and then they morphed into my agitators, stirring the pot, stirring the pot, you know, and I think I didn't deal with those taters effectively. And so by the end, I was just like, oh, I can't. It's too much. So that's another leadership lesson is that you have to deal with like people matter and the right people will improve and support what you're trying to do and contribute to what you're trying to do. But if you allow the wrong people, your taters to have too much of a voice without stamping it and naming it and doing something about it, it will overtake your culture. And so that was a lesson. Like, in, like I said, sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. I have learned that uh, as a leader, what you put up with also 
sets the tone, you know? And so I put up with some stuff that I probably should have stamped immediately. And so it kind of, it kind of wore me down at the end, but it, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, lesson learned. Listen, so it, that brings up a couple of thoughts. And then I have one last question for you that I promised folks that we were going to get to. So for folks who are listening and watching, drop any questions you may have into the chat and we will answer them for you related to leadership. If there's something you're thinking about, a leadership challenge or advice, drop that into the comments and I'll make sure that, that gets asked. Going back to this point that you just named, you know, as a, as a leader, it's your responsibility to build culture. And it's also your responsibility to protect it. Absolutely. And so part of what's indirectly and what you just named, which I think is is one of the hardest parts of leadership, you named spectators, you named, give me the other two. Commentators and agitators. Commentators and agitators. (laughs) You as the leader have to know who's who. Absolutely. And that's one of the hardest, like, leadership task is being able to see your culture. Right. Because because some of those people are imitators. So you think you know who they are, <laughs> but they imitating. <laughs> so it takes, it takes, uh, you know, you have to have the acumen and the judgment to know who's who and how to navigate that and how to deal with that, you know, so that you can protect your culture, protect the brand, protect, yeah. you know, so you're right. So I named that because I think for you know, for our folks who are listening, who are on their leadership journey, I know that that's a Twitter gem that they're like writing down and they're just like, oh, yes, I need to remember that. And know that your task, your critical task is being able to figure out who's who, because part of the what you've just said is most of the time, and that's that's one of the the unintended consequences of leadership is first mm-hmm. off, you can't be everywhere. <laughs> all the time. So you're not going to like physically be present when some of these things are happening. And most folks with some sense will do it when you're not around. Like they're not going to do it in front of you. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to to intentionally, you know, sabotage the culture in front of the principal. And so part of, of the leadership art is being able to see the culture that's at play and how are you leveraging relationships to be able to have clarity into, into what your culture is. And so just naming that piece that it's hard. And that's oftentimes for people, uh, one of the missteps that I made early on in my leadership journey, and this is actually my, as an assistant principal is, you know, cause I was an assistant principal at the same school I was principal. One of my earliest steps was I was the data person. I was like, I, I really don't care about your family on the weekend, but what's your dad? <laughs> like I was that leader. <laughs> Wait, that's clearly wrong. Wrong. Like, wrong. Don't do that. Don't do like, that. <laughs> do not do that. Don't be the one. And I get it. You can have a disposition towards like your goal driven and you may not lead with relationships. You need to learn real quick. So over time. People matter. People. 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 Matter. So I learned really quickly, and that is one reason, one of many reasons that I will always be thankful for the Ransom IB School community is they taught me so many things. And one of the things that they taught me is how much relationships matter, how much people Mm -hmm. matter, and to be able to see people. They Mm -hmm. gave me that gift in such a beautiful way. But Mm -hmm. I say that to be able to name that, you know, this, if you are the leader who you are goal driven and Mm -hmm. you don't, 
always lead with relationships and that's not your default, that's okay because I'm that person. But guess right. what? I've learned over time how to how to add that to my toolkit. And I recognize I need to be in that moment right now. So let me put this goal-driven orientation to the side and let me put on this people hat because yes. I know that's that's not my my default disposition. But I've learned over time how to to step into that strategy. And the Mm -hmm. last thing that I'll just name, and then we're going to move on to this last question I have for you is for our emerging leaders who are listening. All of those three categories that Tamisha named, and there's also, you know, there's, we named some culture killers and there's culture keepers. You need to know who you are. (laughs) Like you need to be clear on every action you're taking Right. And either adding to your school's culture or subtracting your school's culture. That's and that's it. where I see a lot of leaders get tripped up is they're thinking in the weeds. Mm-hmm. And because they're thinking in the weeds, they're unintentionally subtracting from the culture yep. rather than thinking about the big picture mm-hmm. to be able to see what's happening and to mm-hmm. be able to make a move to, to actually add to the culture. So yeah. just naming that for some folks of like, you're in the meeting after the meeting. Right. There's a, a leader I'm, I'm currently coaching and it's, it's around that. Like, I'm like, you're communicating, but you're not connecting. Like you're talking, but are you really connecting to your people? That takes that, that that's a leadership skill as well that you have to learn is about connecting. And what does true connection mean? Like, are people looking at you and nodding and like they got it? They ain't got it. And you have to know when they don't understand your vision and when they don't understand the steps that they're supposed to make. And so you're naming some good stuff, man. I'm, I'm telling you, Erica, you're, you're, you're pushing me tonight. Well, it's these things you, you helped teach me too and affirmed for me, you know, and being able to see you lead and to lead in such a beautiful, authentic way, it, it affirmed for me the things I was like, I think I'm supposed to do this. And then I yeah. pop over to West Charlotte and I see Tamisha singing down the hallway. It's like, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm telling you, when I started to lead authentically, like I can't leave who I am at the door and then walk into my building. Like I have to take who I am at my core. So I'm a singer. So I became known as the singing principal and I was singing, I make up a song for, for the cheering so quick, Yes, you know, and it connected, it made a, a real connection, you know, so being who I am brought me really a lot of joy in my leadership. Well, there's a story that you told me that this moment makes me think of and it exemplifies your leadership and who you are and how authentic you are of uh, when your school was reviving the theater department mm-hmm. and they were yep. putting on a play. You you recall that story? You want to share that? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we were going to bring theater back. So, cause I'm theater. And so they were putting on a play and he was trying to garner, uh, you know, some, some actors and actresses to be in. And he had a full cast, but, you know, things happen. Kids dropped out, whatever. And so like the last few weeks, he realized that one of his main characters had dropped out. And I was like, no, the show must go on. The show must go on. So I'm just going to play the part. I'll do it for you. And he looks like, whoa. <laughs> the, the, the play was Little Shop of Horrors. 
and they're the little three shop bets. And then, you know, and I played a 17 year old child looking as old as I could be up on that stage. But I remember telling him, no, the the show is going to go on. And so I'll step in, I'll learn the part. I'll help the kids learn their songs, you know, and I played the part because I was so deeply committed to the success of every aspect of West Charlotte High School and the kids. And again, it made another connection with the community because the community came out with like, is that the principal uh, (laughs) up on the stage? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Uh, I was committed. It just speaks so much to who you are as a leader. This is like my last 1.5 question. Uh, 1.5 question. And again, if you got, if this is the last call for questions, last call for questions, and then we're going to close the question bar. So if you got last call and then the question bar going to close. So we talked about this early on and there's, we don't often have public conversations around the way identity intersects with leadership. So we mentioned early on in this conversation, actually, I want to name for Kenyatta, because Kenyatta dropped two questions into the chat. So Kenyatta, we asked the question early on in our conversation of knowing when you're ready for that transition. And this replay will be up, so you'll be able to go back and listen to that. And then this other question was actually might come up with this identity question I'm getting ready to ask. Uh, The other part of Kenyatta's question is, how do you get over the fear of stepping into your leadership role? So keeping that question in mind, because that might play a role in here, because when your identity has historically been marginalized in this country, there's a lot of internal and external forces that you have to navigate. The internal forces with Kenyatta's question is talking about of your own self-beliefs, your fears that come up. Can I do this? Am I worthy? Am I capable? And then the external fears uh, or external forces of Mm -hmm. people expecting their archetype of a leader, you Mm -hmm. don't fit. So Mm -hmm. people expecting a man or a white man, Mm -hmm. or in some cases, a white woman, and having to deal with their lens of leadership that is filtered either through a a bias, a gender bias, or a racial bias. Mm -hmm. And so I asked this question because you were a woman who was a high school principal, which Mm -hmm. that within itself is the minority in terms of percentage and representation. And then you are a Black woman who Mm -hmm. was a high school principal. So there are gender dynamics at play and there are race dynamics at play. And so I'm curious of how you navigated those dynamics during your time as a school leader. What did that look like for you in terms of navigating those? Right. So I had to manage my internal fears. You do it, you do it scared, but you do it. But there was a lot of boldness. Like I had people tell me that West Charlotte needed to be led by a man. I had some very vocal community members who let it be well known that I shouldn't be leaving. I'm a woman and needs to be a man. And so I really just had to throw out that mind trash. I had to really decipher between what I was going to let in and what I was going to let bounce off because I knew I was effective. I mean, I was getting that kind of communique from people after helping turn around West Charlotte High School. So I had to, it was a lot of self-encouragement. Like sometimes you just got to encourage yourself. And there was a lot of encouraging myself and, and realizing that, again, those were my commentators, you know, and my spectators. Like you're not in the game. 
you're just commenting on the game. And so I'm going to ignore, you know, ignore you. So it, it's, it's a lot of self-talk and self-encouragement. And again, leaning on a circle of people who can pour into you and help lift you up, which is why I love what I do right now, because that's I'm, I, I want to bring value to the lives of school leaders. And I want to help lift them up because they may be also dealing with these sorts of, of issues. But it was something I had to manage every single day. Yeah, you. I, I'm hearing you indirectly say like, you got to know your gifts and you got to know your receipts. Correct. It reminds me of an Audre Lorde quote that says, if I don't define myself for myself, then I will succumb to others' visions of myself and I'll be eaten alive. Correct. Correct. And so part of this is if, if you are stepping into the principal role on shaky foundation, meaning you have not yet defined yourself for yourself, your foundation isn't going to become cement through the principalship. (laughs) So like you got to have some type of foundation. Your whole house don't need to be built yet. But like, like maybe you only got half the studs up, but like your foundation of defining yourself for yourself, you've got to be clear on your gifts. You have to be clear on your receipts. You have to know who you are. So that way, you know, when people calling you by the wrong name, Absolutely. It's like, like, that ain't my name. Yeah. That ain't my name. Yeah. No. When you say that, that ain't my name. That's my name. You know, because if you, if you live for people's acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. And so I got to the point, like I was not living to be accepted by all of, by all of you commentators, agitators, spectators, imitators. I know who I am at my core. I lead from the core and I'm good at what I do. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just share that for folks who are listening, whose identity have historically been marginalized in this country, whether you identify as, as a woman, whether you identify as Black, Latinx, LGBTQIA, whatever that identity that has been historically suppressed, just naming that, we have to be careful because if we're if we don't see the external forces that tell us that we were unworthy, we will unconsciously unhail them and we will be operating from that Absolutely. unworthiness. Yep. So part of this is the self-work you gotta do. And Tamisha and I were kind of talking about this before of like I had seven principal interviews before I got a principal job. Wow. And that gave me the space to be able to say, you know what, I'm gonna be still. And get, I'm gonna create some receipts and get real clear on my receipts. Cause when that time comes, when opportunity meets preparation, she's gonna be ready. 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 Okay. She's not gonna be able to tell me what I don't know. And I know what I don't know. I'll tell you what I don't know, (laughs) but you ain't gonna call me by a name that ain't mine. Right. Um, so just just naming that for people, because we don't talk about the complexities of identity and then the principalship. Oftentimes we keep ourselves out of the pool. We keep ourselves out of that opportunity because we don't recognize the ways in which we've inha- inhaled oppressive messaging about who we are, our leadership, our identity, when actually like we've been making stuff happen for kids and communities for years, yep. for years. And we'll actually talk ourselves out of the opportunity. Um, when actually we're best positioned uh, to be able to go after it. So Tamisha, what final advice do you have for 
folks who are on their school leadership journey, who are in the thick of it right now, what final advice do you have? I leverage a lot of what I do in helping people figure out who they are. Because if you're not crystal clear with who you are at your core, the leadership journey is going to be super, super tough and people will get you off kilter. And so as you continue, those of you who are emerging leaders, you know, as you continue your journey, you got to know yourself, lean into your own growth. Uh, there's a there's a book I've read, it's called Know Yourself to Grow Yourself. And so I, I, I use a lot of that philosophy when I'm coaching new and emerging leaders. Like, who are you? And is what you're doing connected to who you are at your core? Because if you're operating outside of who you really are, you're going to be miserable. You're not going to find the kind of success that that you want to find. So that's, that's really my advice is that get really centered and grounded in who you are. And don't let anybody, like you said, call you outside your name. As whatever role you're in right now, get really great at it. And like you said, create some receipts. I learned how to be a 360 degree leader. I learned how to, to lead up, lead sideways, lead down, you know, and I got really, really good at leading from the middle. And when you get so good at what you do, you can't be ignored. That opportunity is going to come. So that's my, that's my advice to new and emerging leaders. Like keep on keeping on your success is on the other side of your fears. So you're going to be scared, do it scared. But show up, show up as your authentic self. So, mm, I love that so much. I'm glad I was on mute because I was over here. Mm, mm. <laughs> and how can folks get in contact with you? Who should reach out to you? Anything that's happening for you that you want folks to know about? Right. So I've been coaching leaders and doing professional development and all kinds of things. And I'm finally launching uh, lifted leader, lifted leader. And so you can follow me on Instagram right now on Instagram at lifted underscore leader. I am going to be hosting a, a leadership table talk where we can just get together. We're going to chat about issues. We're going to problem solve. And somebody, a lucky participant is going to win um, uh, any, uh, a report, an assessment, behavior and personality report. It's worth $25 to help you leverage your strengths and know what your gaps are so that you can navigate some of that. So one of the participants is going to win that. So on my Instagram, there's a, a link and you're going to put the link in the, the chat. If you want to be a part of that, it's going to be on Saturday the 15th uh, from 11 to 12. It's a very safe environment. Just go to that link and sign up and um, I will send you the Zoom link for that. You can also email me at liftedleader1 at gmail.com if you have questions, concerns, or if you just want to send me a quick note, liftedleader1 at gmail.com. And uh, this has just been really great, EJT. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. I'm so thankful too. And I'm going to share one final memory as we close. I have very vivid memories of, you know, and I, I, I say this as, all of us who are in the room who so deeply care about our kids that they feel like our own. And as the middle educator who is with the middle babies and leading a middle school to send them off to high school and you're still like, what's going on? Like, are they doing okay? And having those moments where I'd be walking through the hallways and my phone would ring and it would be you and be like, JT, you got a minute. I got so-and-so in my office. Can you talk to them real quick? And I'd be like, put me on the phone. Put me on the phone. <laughs> and so just it just speaks so much to like, A, the relationships that you build with people, your authenticity, how much you deeply love and care and respect about kids. And that's just one of the many things that I'm so incredibly grateful for for you is 
how you still, you thought of it as a village and you kept us in your village. You kept Branson in your village. You kept me in the village as you are continuing to grow and cultivate our kids. And I'm just so incredibly grateful for you. So I dropped both of those links into the chat for the leadership table talk, as well as a link to your Instagram. So that way folks can connect with you. But thank you. Thank you. This is great. Folks are sharing good feedback. So just thank you for making the time. 